Good evening, everybody. Thank you for that warm welcome. It's uh, amazing to be here. Uh, I thought I was far from home by pastoring in Atlanta, Georgia, when I hail from the Pacific Northwest of the United States, Oregon. And uh, you brothers and sisters have me beat, so many of you, by so many miles, coming to this crossroads of a city, of a country, and ministering to the nations. And it's, uh, I'm humbled to be here and um, to be able to share with you uh, what the Lord, through His Word, has taught me as I've sought to understand better something of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I am grateful for the way that God puts us together uh, and then brings us back together. So I trust many of you have friendships that started at one time in your life and then were rekindled at another season in life. And that's been my experience with John Fulmer. Uh, uh, so thank you, brother, for organizing this event, for ministering to pastors in your community and uh, for being a, a dear friend. And uh, I, I, I also want to add that Jesse Brannon, Jesse, could you stand again in the very back, is the uh, brand new pastor of Emmanuel Church of Ujera. I say brand new if it's been a year, and uh, he hails from our church in Atlanta, so please take care of him. Uh, he's new. I love him. He's doing a great job, but it would, it would mean a lot to me if you uh, blessed him. Uh, all right. Uh, let, we just, th that, that song we sung was a prayer, wasn't it? We were praying as we were singing. Uh, I want to pray again, so would you join me? Heavenly Father, we are here tonight because you are a great God. And you have revealed yourself to us through your word. You've revealed to us the plan of salvation. And you, re you have revealed to us the, the plan of sanctification. And Father, we pray that we would understand both plans better. And that you would use our understanding, our knowledge of you and of your ways and of your work to grow us. Both as pastors, for those of us who are pastors and elders... And for all of us who have a, a concern for the ministry that takes place in the context of the local church, we pray that you would invigorate us as we sit, as we listen. Father, help me to say things that are true and nourishing to your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Second uh, Chronicles 26.16 says of King Uzziah, now this is the man who began his reign uh, in Judah at the age of 16, reigned for 52 years. And uh, he is a man who, uh, if you go read in, in that chapter, uh, became very famous uh, during his lifetime. Uh, the text says he grew very strong. More than once it says he grew strong. You read about his reign and it was a very unusually productive, unusually productive. And uh, interestingly, the text says he was marvelously helped. So the Lord seems to have been in his work. Uh, he was a king of Israel, uh, presumably filled by the Spirit for a season in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God did not always remain with people as, it, as he does under the New Covenant. He was marvelously helped by God. And then in 26.16, we have a jarring statement. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful 
to the Lord. When he grew strong, he grew proud. And that was to his destruction. And then the text says, For he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not worship the Lord according to the means prescribed by the Lord. Uzziah went into the temple. He sought to be a priest and offer sacrifices. And that was prohibited. And the Lord gave him leprosy. And he ended his, his reign as a, a leper. Now, we are gathered here tonight Because none of us is beyond the tragedy of Uzziah. Right? None of us is, this is not impossible for us. Uh, from from our, our vantage point, where we are, uh, I trust identifying ourselves as Christians and yet aware that we can't take the future for granted. Right? We embrace, we should embrace the doctrine of the preservation of the saints, the perseverance of the saints, and we heed Scripture, which in 1 Corinthians 10.12 states, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It is late at night. Uh, most of you gathered for corporate worship this morning. Uh, you have a full week ahead. You have no idea how long I'm going to speak and you're a little worried. <laughs> and yet, we must be careful and aware that regardless of the state of our ministry, be it an Uzziah type of productivity or a Jeremiah type of lack of productivity, wherever we are, the temptation to grow proud or indignant is real. And we could fall. And so we spend an evening reflecting on the doctrine of sanctification. Now my goals for the evening in the two talks are basically this, that we would leave uh, desiring to pursue a spirit-filled life I trust you're here already. Maybe have, you've accomplished that goal. You are seeking to pursue a Spirit-filled life. I want to encourage you in that goal. Uh, being a, a minister, being a, a pastor, can, bre can breed a kind of familiarity with the things of God that can make us less attentive to pursuing the things of God. So let's leave refreshed in our commitment to pursue a spirit-filled life, that's one goal. Uh, let's understand how the fruit of the Spirit operates in the Christian life. I think that's probably too ambitious of a goal, but maybe we can uh, take a chunk out of it tonight. Uh, fruitfulness is a common biblical theme. I think the way we describe, at least where I'm from, when we talk about fruitfulness, we often contrast it with faithfulness. So you've got the faithfulness camp, the faithfulness tribe. We're all about faithfulness. We've got the fruitfulness tribe. We're all about results. All right, biblically, faithfulness is part of fruitfulness. So fruitfulness biblically is not about numerical success is, is my point. So we want to understand that better. How does the fruit of the Spirit operate in the Christian life? Uh, third goal, uh, appreciate the unique importance of holiness in the life of the minister. That's going to be the last talk second talk, 
And then, really most importantly, pursue Christ. I don't want to be the holiness guy. I want to be holy. In Christ, I am holy. But I want to be a man who pushes people to Christ and not to holiness. Not because I don't want you to be holy, but because I'm just convinced that you will never be holy uh, in the sense of growing in sanctification if you're not pursuing Christ. So I want to be the, the Christ guy. I want you all to be the Christ guys. And if you're a woman, the Christ woman. Uh, pushing people to Christ. So that's really the, the best goal. And now talk one, which is about to begin, is for everybody. Uh, how does the list of spiritual fruit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 fit into the flow of Paul's argument in Galatians? So I want to start with Bible. And this is going to be truths for all, applicable to all. If I do stop and make specific application to the pastor or a pastor and you are not a pastor or an elder, you will better know how to pray for your pastors and your elders. Talk two is going to zero in on the pastor. I'm going to focus on the pastor. I'm going to remind the pastor that he must be the leading fruit bearer in the congregation. All right, so that's what's going to happen. Now, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Let's listen to this famous paragraph, this well-known paragraph. Um, and again, verse 16, I'll read through verse 26. Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, I want to observe that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, most of our minds go to Galatians 5, but really they shouldn't. This is just one list of passages of virtues in the New Testament. There are several other lists, and they're all equally inspired. I think there's something about Galatians 5. It's, it's well known. Uh, it's the number 9, which is, you know, it just, it, it's, it, there's a certain amount of uh, a harmony there. But there are other lists, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 6 through 7, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Colossians 3, 11 through 15, 1 Peter 3, 8. So there's no need for Galatians 5 only to come to mind when you hear the phrase fruit of the Spirit. But again, this list is, is well known. It is interesting when you look at verses 22 and 23 that the list begins with love and it ends with self-control. Uh, we don't have an inspired footnote telling us why that's the case, but there does seem to be something uh, uh, compelling about the order. 
I mean, the fact that the list begins, in a sense, where God begins with us. I mean, where does God begin with us except loving us? I mean, before we loved God, God loved us. Uh, why, are, why are we God's children? But the only answer we can give is because God loved us. We have no explanation for that. It's inexplicable. Uh, at the heart of the gospel is the love of God poured out to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the list begins with love, that it, it ends with self-control, as if to say, don't expect to live out any of these other virtues without work. And so there's, if you will, uh, something of a, of a tension there. Uh, you've got God sort of choosing us out of His love, love, and you've got, in a sense, us choosing God by virtue of, of self-control. So this is sort of the spirit of Philippians chapter 2. You know, yes, we, we work out our salvation, but it's God who works in us. That, that tension is found even in the, these verses, this particular list of the pieces of the fruit of the Spirit. You'll notice I, I, I refer to them as the pieces of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I, I think grammatically it could go either way. You, you could grammatically think of it as a, um, a basket of fruit where love is a pear, uh, peace is a mango, uh, self-control is a papaya, and so forth and so on. But grammatically, it also works to think of it as really holiness is one fruit, right? But that fruit, in God's uh, wisdom, contains several different pieces. And one piece is love, and another piece is joy, and another piece is patience, and so forth. I think the both work grammatically. I think the advantage of that interpretation, that these are different pieces of the fruit of the Spirit, is it wards us against thinking, you know, I really don't like pineapple, you know, but I've got so much other fruit to choose from. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. Anyone who eschews or ignores, you know, patience, your holiness is corrupt. And that's something worth thinking about. Now, uh, before I, I put them in context, let me just briefly share with you how I understand these virtues, these pieces of the fruit of the Spirit, how I understand them to be rightly defined. Uh, so let's just start with love. I would want to say that love is the bedrock of biblical theology. And I say that because God is love. God identifies himself as love, 1 John 4, 8. So the bedrock of biblical theology, what God is about, is, uh, is, is exercising, demonstrating his love to a fallen world. I don't mean to take anything away from God's wrath. He is a God of justice. He is opposed to sin and rebellion. But he identifies himself as, as, as love. And so, love then, in light of the gospel, could be defined as the selfless affection for others. A selfless affection for others. When I, when I talk about love, I, want to be th I do want to be thinking about the heart. It's going to be manifest in actions. I, I get that. But what is being emphasized is a selfless affection. right? If I, 
If I love you, I'm for you. I'm, I'm for you and willing, in a sense, to sacrifice myself, a, a selfless affection for others. And that, of course, is the gospel, right? God's love for us, His giving of Himself for us. It's possible and common for us in ministry to objectify people, to think of people as useful to the extent that they can help us accomplish a task because there's so many tasks to be accomplished in pastoral ministry. You know, chairs need to be set up. Bathrooms need to be cleaned. Bible studies need to be led. We can objectify people. We can see them as instruments to get things done. And love says don't do that. Love says have a selfless affection for all those in your church and beyond your church. Right, joy, uh, I define joy as a delightful confidence in the triune God who orchestrated, accomplished, and applied our salvation. Delightful confidence. Delightful confidence. There should be something, you know, d- joy, I think, is, is more than uh, I'm content. There, there should be some delight. Like, I'm, I'm delighted. Delight, delightfully confident in God's redemption. God's redemption of, of, of me. And so, uh, one application I make is I think we ought not to look for joy. I think we ought to look for Christ. That gets to what I was saying as far as the goals here. Uh, I do get concerned when I see individuals in my own congregation despair about a lack of joy. And so they, they hunger for joy. They long for joy. And I understand that. But I think when you, when you look for joy, it can be something like a mirage. You think you've got it and then it disappears. Biblically speaking, when you look for Christ, you will inevitably find joy. It may not always happen immediately because we're living in a fallen world and we still have indwelling sin. Right, that's joy, delightful confidence in the triune God who orchestrated, accomplished, and applied our salvation. Peace, the objective reality that God has adopted you into his family and the subjective rest you have knowing this. So for peace, I want to have two sides of the coin. As, as you said this morning, the, the objective reality of what God has accomplished in, in, in Christ for us. Right? We are reconciled to God if you're a Christian. That's an objective reality. But to the extent that, that peace is a fruit of the Spirit, I want to say it's also a, a, a subjective rest that you have knowing this, knowing what God has done for you. Peace. Patience. The persistent, happy, humble acceptance that sanctification is slow. The persistent, happy, humble acceptance that sanctification is slow. And when I'm thinking about sanctification, I'm thinking not merely in terms of your own sanctification as a Christian, like being patient as the speed of your Christian growth maybe isn't as fast as you'd like it to be. But also I'm thinking about the sanctification of your, of your churches. Right? What happens when the, the spiritual growth, much less the numerical growth, of your church is not what you expected? What happens when you labor for years and years and years seeking to bring the gospel to a particular people and you see very little evidence of the Spirit's work? Well, patience is a piece of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's the persistent, happy, humble acceptance, acceptance that sanctification is slow. Right? The kingdom of God 
is like a redwood tree, the biggest tree in the forest. No, I, that was not true. I prayed that I would only say true things. That's not true. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the tiniest seed in the garden. Right? And only, I think, on the day of judgment will, will we see the kingdom of God as it truly is. Right? So, so patience. Kindness. Practical care and concern for the well-being of others, especially others in the church. Practical care and concern for the well-being of others, especially others in the church. Galatians 6.10, do good to all men, especially to the household of faith. Uh, so I take do good to actually be kindness. Goodness I take to be the, the inward purity wrought by the Spirit and pursued through the ordinary means of grace. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, what is the piece of, of, of goodness? It's, it's purity, moral purity, wrought by the Spirit of God and pursued through the ordinary means of grace, through the preaching of the Word, through the uh, meditating on the Scriptures, through prayer and so forth. Goodness. Faithfulness, relying on God's means to accomplish His purposes, relying on God's means to accomplish His purposes by sacrificing your ambition on the altar of His will. Relying on God's means to accomplish His purposes by sacrificing your ambition on the altar of His will. I think it's interesting that Uzziah was not faithful. He didn't follow God's ordained means of worship. What is faithfulness? It is relying on God's means, heeding God's commands to accomplish His purposes, which requires you sacrificing your own ambition, right? You might say, I've got a great way to build the church. I've got a great way to shepherd my flock. I've got a great way to lead this ministry. And you never stop to ask, does the Bible speak to this? Does the Bible speak to both my motivations and does the Bible speak even more practically to what I ought to do, what I ought to say, how I ought to say it? I'm not trying to constrain anyone. I'm just defining faithfulness as sacrificing your ambition at the altar of His will. Like, has God said anything about this? Faithfulness demands you ask that question and then obey the answer. All right, gentleness, an evidently meek, tender, and humble disposition toward others. An evidently meek, tender, and humble disposition toward others. Self-control, consistently saying no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Consistently saying no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I didn't say perfectly saying no. No, no one except Jesus is perfect. But to be filled with the Spirit is to have self-control, which is to consistently say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'd love to talk more about that. And interestingly, I went back to prepare for this talk and, uh, and uh, I didn't actually define each of the pieces of the fruit of the Spirit in my book. <laughs> I did with joy, but I went back and go, huh, I'm looking for one sentence on each, and I didn't do that. So, aren't I not God? <laughs> but there you go, that's my best attempt uh, to, to, to give it there in a, in, a, in a nutshell. Now, based on verse 16 then of Galatians, Chapter 5, walking by the Spirit looks like living this kind of life, exemplifying everything that I just summarized for you. Now, this list 
that I've just shared with you, verses 22 and 23, it's not isolated, right? It's not appropriate to cut out these verses and tape them on your mirror and say, I want to live like that. It's not appropriate in the sense that these verses come in the context of an entire book, and so it's unwise to really unpack this list without paying attention to Paul's overarching agenda, especially as it relates to spiritual fruit. And so what I want to do for the remainder of uh, our first talk is just share four observations from Galatians as a whole about these pieces of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the first. Salvation is God's work. Salvation is God's work. We, we must not walk away from Galatians thinking that the path to reconciliation with God is found by obeying His command to be holy. If you are a pastor, a, a church leader, a, a mature Christian, I, uh, I trust you understand that already. That's one of the burdens of the, this letter to the Galatians. Recognizing that it is not obedience that brings about salvation. Right? Paul is adamant that we get the gospel right. Look, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, for example, Paul rebukes these uh, young churches because they appear to be turning to a different gospel. Galatians 1, 6. So his concern is that we get the gospel right. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he is seeking to distinguish uh, this idea of justification by works, that we can uh, be, be right in the eyes of God by virtue of what we do, distinguishing that from justification by, by faith, right? by, by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one is going to be justified by, by, by living a godly life, right? by obeying the law. No one is going to be declared righteous in the eyes of God that way. And you can compare that with Galatians chapter 5, verses 18 and, and, and 23, where Paul makes this very point. He says in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And he's concerned, even in our paragraph, to make clear that the Christian is not to pursue righteousness by obedience to the law. He's very concerned that we get that right. So much so that in verse 23, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no, no law. Which I think is, a, is another way of saying it's not by the law that one is, is justified. It's not by exemplifying holiness by 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 bearing fruit that you are somehow obeying the law and being justified no that's not the gospel and so you get to galatians chapter you go backwards to galatians chapter 2 verse 20 and the emphasis is on the, the christian's receipt of christ's work or appropriation of christ's work right faith in christ's work Right? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. In the life I live, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. First piece of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. Love and kindness. Really, all the pieces of the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated in the life of Christ. 
justified by, by faith. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. Similarly, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So you see the burden of Paul is so clear. He's rebuking them for trying to be perfected by obedience. So when you get to Galatians chapter 5 in verse 16 and you read to walk by the Spirit, well that, that command, walk by the Spirit, is rooted in Galatians 1 through 4, which emphasizes salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is God's work. Now when we say salvation is God's work, we need to em emphasize or embrace the reality that the whole Christian life, right, not just the beginning of the Christian life, justification, but the whole of the Christian life is one of faith, one of grace. Right? The life I live in the body, I live by faith. The life I live my, my, my ministry, so my, my ministry is a pastor. My preaching is by faith. My shepherding is by faith. My serving my wife is by faith. My discipling or evangelizing and discipling my children, it's all by faith. It's not by, by works of the law. It's not by seeking to win God's approval. It's not by seeking to prove myself to you. It's by faith. God, I believe that when your word is presented to your people, your under-shepherds, I believe that you will do good through the proclamation of your word. God, I believe you that me spending an hour with this homebound widow, like speaking the word to her, praying with her, I believe that that is a good use of my time because in my flesh, God, it seems like my time would be better spent elsewhere. But I believe your word. I'm to look out for the widows and orphans and I, I trust you. You're living by faith. So salvation is God's work. We were saved. We're, we're being saved. We will be saved. The life I live in the body, I live by, by faith. So we need to keep that in mind as we meditate upon the fruit of the Spirit, lest we fall into the trap of thinking, if only I were more holy, God would love me more. That's not the message of Galatians chapter 5. All right, number two, we all bear fruit. Fundamental reality of the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of growing in the holiness of God, is that we all bear fruit. And the only question is, what kind of fruit do you bear? Right? Everyone is bearing fruit, but we're not all bearing the same fruit. You got people who look the same. I, I don't mean they look identically the same. I'm just saying, you know, this is a guy, this is a guy. This is a gal, this is a gal. Right? Can't tell by looking at them, you know, whether they're Christian or not. I can't tell by, by their appearance. I learned this week that palm trees produce different kinds of fruit. Like one palm tree produces dates and the other kind of palm tree produces coconuts. I was born in Hawaii and I didn't know that. Right? Different fruit, Compl vastly different, right? Dates, 
Coconuts. Palm trees look the same. People, they look the same. They, they produce different fruit, but we all produce fruit. And, and some of the fruit, frankly, is, is bad fruit, right? So we get this, this language. I do have to leave for a moment Galatians, but you see it in, in Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 7, uh, Paul makes this explicit. Romans chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Right? The um, unbelievers bear fruit. It's just rotten fruit. It's fruit for death. There's a kind of living that leads to everlasting torment. There's a kind of fruit that is a, an indicator, a leading indicator of condemnation. There's a fruit that leads to, to death. And I think that that's the fruit that, that Paul is, is picking up on in Galatians 5, uh, 19, where he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. I think what he's, now what he's listing is uh, carnal fruit. What he's listing here is, 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 is fruit for death. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He's contrasting fruit for death with fruit for life. So that command then in Galatians 5.16 and in 5.25 to walk by the Spirit. So at the beginning of our passage we see, but I say walk by the Spirit. The end of our passage, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That command to walk by the Spirit is the command to bear good spiritual fruit. You're going to bear fruit. Walk by the Spirit. Bear spiritual fruit. And so the, the implication is a call to self-examination. Right. The implication here is, is that we're not to trust our, our own heart. Second uh, Peter 1.10 Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How do you do this? Well, you look for fruit. You look for fruit. Do, do I see fruit in my life? Now, the older you get as a Christian, the easier this is and the harder it is. I mean, it's easier because you're, you're more mature and you're more sensitive to the things of God in a good way. It's harder because you become more aware of the deceitfulness of sin and the deceitfulness of your own heart. So, for example, you might be the kind of person who likes to go and, and you, maybe you like to go to the gym and work out. Um, and maybe that requires you getting up really early to do that. And, like, good for you. Like, you know, all of Dubai is sleeping and you're out, you know, you're in the gym working out. Like, how great is that? It looks really good. Like you've got self-control because I love my pillow and I don't want to get up. Unlike you who rise before the sun and go, go exercise. All right, that looks like self-control. But if you are exercising so that you look awesome, just for the sake of looking awesome, is that really self-control in, 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 in the way that Paul is describing it here? Like, it looks like good fruit. But if your motivation is so that people will find you attractive, 
that, that, that tastes like fruit for death. But if you're getting up early in the morning to go work out because you want to lift up your grandkids, you know, without having a hernia. Oh, that's a, that seems like, a, like you love your grandkids. You want to be there for them. So you get up. Ah, same exact action. But one is potentially fruit for death. The other, spiritual fruit, fruit for life. That's why I say that this self-examination gets easier and harder the older you get. Because you're, you're just aware that you, you want to stop and look at your life and, and, and start asking yourself diagnostic questions that you might not have asked as a 23-year-old. But maybe you ask it as a 33-year-old. Why am I preaching? Why am I in ministry? You know, young, young men can ask questions like that. Older men better ask questions like that. Uh, 2 Peter 1.8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We all bear fruit. The question is what kind of fruit are we bearing? So here's the the kicker, if you will, uh, on this point. You may be very competent. And where you guys and and gals are, are ministering is a place that I think requires some competency, some unusual competency to, to thrive. Maybe I say to survive. Unusual competency. You, you deal with things on a daily level, on a daily basis that I'm just not dealing with in the American South. You may be very competent, very skilled, very driven, efficient, smart. But again, going back to the, you know, the gym example, but you still may be bearing fruit for death. Um, Jesus says, John 15, 2, every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The moment the pain of sanctification goes away in your life is the moment you need to be worried. That's when you need to be concerned for your salvation. The moment you're no longer striving and feeling the, 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 the pain of, of growing in godliness, it's a good pain, but the moment there's no tension, there's no wrestle, it is the moment you should be asking the question, do I really know the Lord? And I know that's a, a brash thing to say to a room full of people in ministry late in the evening on Sunday night. But I don't, know, I don't know how else to put it because our Lord is so clear. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And we've already established that you can do the right thing, but if it's done for the wrong reason, it might not be genuine spiritual fruit. There's a, uh, in uh, America, as many of you know, has a, has a tortured past on the topic of racism because racism in our country in its most uh, common form in the 19th century was something we call chattel slavery, where uh, uh, Africans who came through the British slave trade and landed in the, the colonies and eventually were in the United States, they were, they were treated as property. They were legally treated as property. property. Chattel slavery, they were, they were owned by people. And that, that created a, a culture for a season of racism. Eventually, we had in, in our country emancipation. 
but it took time for many Americans to, un for their heart to catch up to the law. When I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and Atlanta uh, was the, 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 a city where one of the great fights of the Civil War took place, is in the city that I now pastor in. It dawned on me about a year into ministry that when I went and visited some homebound members, so it's, maybe it's 2008, I'm visiting people in their 90s, right? I'm holding their hands, I'm praying for them. I'm thinking, you know, some of these folks were, well, some, all of them, were alive sort of in the heyday of a time in Atlanta's history when blacks and whites were not treated equally. Uh, and maybe they were on the side of not treating blacks equally. And I'm, I'm holding their hands and I'm praying with them and it just, you know, what do you do? You know, uh, I prayed with them and just want them to know the Lord and, 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 and trust they did know the Lord. Interestingly, a few years ago, I was in the home of an older member of our church at, during the time of this visit, he was probably 98. He's now 100. If he makes it to May, he'll be 101. In our church, everyone who makes it to 100, we throw a birthday party for them. So, Jerry Woodward is 98. I told her, you make it two more years, we'll throw a party. Uh, I'm just, it's a normal pastoral visit, one that you've probably done, you know, many, many times. I pray, and then... Hank always wants to pray. Out of nowhere, Hank prays, Lord, forgive me for being a racist. I had never seen any evidence of racism in Hank's life. I have no idea. We weren't talking about racism. But the Holy Spirit was at work in this 98-year-old man's life. He's praying with his pastor, and there is a part of him that perceives that he's not right with the Lord. And so he asks God's forgiveness. That's the pain of sanctification. Like being aware of where you fall short and dealing with it. Right? We all bear fruit. Let's bear fruit for life. All right? Um, all right, number three. The Christian, the Christian will bear spiritual fruit. Uh, Paul isn't wanting to terrorize his readers. Uh, they are flirting with a false gospel, yes, a gospel of works, but Paul in Galatians is confident that the true gospel will be at work in their lives producing fruit. He's not trying to terrorize them. There, there's, there's a confidence. Why do, why do I say that? Well, because there's a tension in Galatians between the work that God does in us and the work that we do in, that is, by the power of God. So let's think back to Galatians 2.20 again. I have been crucified with Christ. That's how Galatians 2.20 begins. I have been crucified. Have been. In English, that, that's a passive. In other words, crucifixion happened to me. I didn't crucify myself. God did it. So in Galatians 2.20, Paul is, is leaning into the unilateral work of God, whereby declaring us righteous, he applied Christ's atoning work to our lives, which resulted in a crucifixion of our flesh, right? A, a death to sin and unrighteousness, right? I have been crucified with Christ. All right, so that, that's keeping with the tenor of Galatians 1 through 4. You get to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, and something is really interesting. And this is after the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes, and those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Now perhaps if I could put those two verses together, those who have been crucified have crucified. Those who have been crucified have crucified the flesh. I, I take that to mean if you are a Christian, you will bear spiritual fruit. Like be encouraged. Don't leave tonight discouraged. Be encouraged. It is a guarantee you will bear spiritual fruit. Justification is the guarantee of sanctification. It doesn't mean we ignore our sanctification, right? That's why I wrote a book about it. Because as I'm going to say in the next talk, I am concerned at times that we can ignore sanctification. But hey, theologically, I know justification is the guarantee of sanctification. So when we fight for sanctification, when we fight for holiness, we fight from a position of power. And that's really encouraging to me. I was uh, in, I don't know how to pronounce it, Al-Hail, Jesse, Al-Hail in Fujairah. And we were at the former palace summer retreat of a sheikh. It was built in like 1913 or 1933. I wasn't sure what year. But it, is, it was clearly built to, uh, to fend off attackers. And it was built at the, at the top of a hill so that you could look all around and the arrows or the, the guns being shot would be shooting down. Right? You, you're fighting the enemy from the top of the hill. And so when I read Galatians, like, I know that Paul is stern. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But I think fundamentally, he's saying, don't you understand, having been justified, Christ has, has won the victory. Now go to war. So don't lose heart. And then the fourth observation that I want to make is that bearing fruit is, is for the church. Um, it's tempting to make bearing fruit all about us as individuals, especially in America. I'm not convinced that uh, other nations are as individualistic as American readers of the Bible. Nonetheless, I presume it's a temptation for all of us to be thinking about how bearing spiritual fruit is good for me. Interestingly, when you read Galatians carefully, Paul is concerned about bearing spiritual fruit for the good of the church. Just look at what comes before our paragraph. Galatians chapter 5, verse 12 for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Right? And then our paragraph, right? Walk by the Spirit, bear spiritual fruit. But look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The fruit of the Spirit is for the good of the church. Uh, the church today faces enemies from without and enemies from within. Enemies from without are going to be those who would, who would seek to imprison, kill, muzzle, silence Christians. Enemies from without. And God, can't, or excuse me, Satan will attack the church via persecution from without. 
But Satan doesn't really care how the church is destroyed. He just wants it destroyed. And he will attack from within if he can. He'll attack with conceit, with pride, with envy, with slander, with all the ways that Christians fight with one another. He doesn't care where the fight comes, outside the church, inside the church. He just wants the church ripped up. Paul, aware of that, says, walk by the Spirit. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the church. This is a concern you see throughout the pages of Scripture. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. 1 Corinthians 12.26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Ephesians 2.22, the church is a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, good, good ecclesiology is really important. Like knowing how the church operates. You know, what's the biblical way to, for a church to be governed? That's really, really important. But it's not enough. We're to be congregations of men and women laying down our lives for one another. Spiritual fruit isn't just for you. It's for the church. So, uh, I came to write Character Matters because a dear brother in the church addressed sin that he saw in my life. And his willingness to do that caused me to reflect in ways I'd never reflected before on pieces of the fruit of the Spirit that I had really been neglecting. In my case, it was the, the, the piece called gentleness. And I, I'm increasingly convinced that we all have a story like this, or we should have, a story of becoming aware of an aspect of our spiritual life that hasn't been growing the way it should be growing. And that's Paul's heartbeat in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Uh, so let me, let me pray for us. We'll, we'll take a break and then come back and think a little bit more carefully about what this means for the Christian pastor. Dear gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter to the Galatians. We thank you for Paul's bravery, his courage, his spirit-led uh, clarity to clarify both the doctrine of justification and then to call upon the justified to walk by the Spirit, to pursue greater degrees of holiness. Father, whether we are pastors or not, we pray that everyone in this room would desire that, not just for their good, but for the good of the people in their churches that they know and love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.